You're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast. It's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library, and my name is Jeff Milo, and today we're talking to a local author, poet, educator, Jacqueline Suskin, who is a Detroit-based author. She also works with the Inside Out Literary Arts, where she brings nature poetry into urban classrooms with her poet forest curriculum. But we are also going to be talking about Jacqueline's past as a writer in which she had the project known as Poem Store, where she composed more than 40,000 improvisational poems uh, for folks who would kind of come up to her table almost as though she was like a poet slash busker, and she would create a poem on the spot for them. The poem patron would choose a topic in exchange for a unique verse written by Jacqueline right there on the spot. But we're here today to talk about her new book. It's called A Year in Practice, and I'll tell you more about it in just a second. It comes out on December 5th on Sounds True, and we're going to have more information about that book, of course, in our show notes. But Suskin is also the author of eight other books, including Every Day a Poem and three volumes of a series called The Edge of the Continent and many other books. She's also even working on another one to follow up a year in practice already. And stick around for the end of this episode too because you get a special treat. Jacqueline will be reading a poem on this episode right at the end when we are wrapping things up. But A Year in Practice is about seasonal rituals and prompts to awaken cycles of creative expression. It is a guide of holistic practices that the reader can do that would offer clarity, activate hope, Honor nature, especially, which is literally outside our window right now, the earth, constantly spinning, constantly existing, and hopefully uh, these practices inspire the creative seeker all year long. Jacqueline writes how the earth can show us when our creative reserves might wax and wane, and that how when we listen and follow nature's lead, we tune into an inexhaustible source of imagination, inspiration, and beauty. And with the book, which again is out December 5th, A Year in Practice, Suskin is sharing holistic methods to help the readers explore and fortify their creative practice by accessing guidance provided by the rhythms of nature, the changing seasons, which is something we should appreciate because in an age of climate change, we might lose the distinctions of those transitions. They're very important and we can become kind of in harmony with them. So what you have in the book is four seasonally themed chapters that will keep you connected to natural phases of creative contraction and expansion from the quiet hibernation of winter to the jubilant and expressive communing of summer. And the hope is that used regularly, these methods can help you move through your artistic blocks and maybe deepen your capacity for self-reflection, cultivate creative routines for yourself and find new levels of inspiration and contentment. So we're going to be talking about the seasons. We're going to be talking about staying creative through the seasons. And we're going to be talking about a year in practice with Jacqueline Suskin, Detroit-based author and educator, and also from Inside Out Literary Arts. Here's our chat. I just wanted to start for listeners who may be vaguely or not yet familiar with you just to ask about and I know this is you know a while back it kind of goes back to your origin story but could you talk about spontaneous poems 
and what that experience is like. Because <laughs> that's yeah, just incredible yeah. to me. Uh, <laughs> it is. It is a wild thing that for 12 years of my life, I made a living typing poems on the spot for people. Um, the project was called Poem Store. And I would take my typewriter to public settings or I'd be hired for private events and folks would come up and say a subject and then I would make up a poem in a minute or two minutes and read it to them and then they could pay whatever they wanted to for it. Uh, so that was my only job for 12 years and it really took me to a lot of incredible places. <laughs> wow, That's like busking, but with poems. Yes, it is. It is like busking. And honestly, at first, it was just an experiment. When mm -hmm. I first started it, I just did it for fun. Um, I had a friend in Oakland suggest that I try it out. And it was just a way for me to see, you know, can I do this? I had just purchased a typewriter. So I just thought it was fun. It sounded really interesting. And then we did it together. And he was like, Whoa, you're really good at this. You don't do this in my town. No, don't step on my turf. And I was like, Yeah, okay. So I <laughs> started to you know do it at farmers markets other places and then it kind of just i obviously one day was like oh this is my job now mm -hmm. and that kind of took it to another level and i worked a lot of different events and things like that so it became less busking and more that i was available for people who would hire me and that actually just allowed me to spend more time with people which was special um but it was a really interesting way to bring poetry into the world and you know people were always kind of caught off guard by it and definitely skeptical and then they would receive the poem and honestly i've never done it without at least one person weeping and yeah it really was the the connection that happened between me and the person getting the poem that kept me doing it because i realized you know how rare is that for a writer to get to see their audience have this reaction in real time. Uh, so that was really, really a special chunk of my life that I, I just look back on with such awe still. I can't believe that yeah. that happened and worked that way. There's something, it, it is like you're giving them a, so a portrait, really. You're, you're a portraitist at the same time, but it, there is really something special about poems, mm -hmm. uh, something really powerful. I don't have anywhere else to go with this anecdote, but <laughs> uh, my father, who is, is still with us, but is a Vietnam vet, he was going through his old files and he found kind of a letter that his his grandfather had written to him as he was being flown off to Vietnam. But it wasn't a letter. It was just a poem. And he held on to it because that grandfather had made a spontaneous poem for him. That is how he wanted to send his well wishes or share his love with with him it was incredible to for me to even hold it and read it yeah uh, that i mean it's often like that it's often this gesture either for someone giving it to themselves mm -hmm. or for them giving it to someone else and it's a way of expressing something that has so much depth and meaning and emotion in it that a normal piece of text wouldn't do it needs to be elevated in this other language to sure. kind of prove its own point and yes then people receive that and they get to tap into it right away there's no skirting around it or you know possibly exiting quickly you have to just take it as a as a dose as what of what it is which is usually a pretty intense and deep emotion even if it's celebratory but take us back a 
even further to, I guess, some of your formative moments in writing when you, do you have memories of when you knew writing would be a permanent fixture in your life? When poetry would be a permanent fixture? Does it go back to school? Did you have mentors? Do you have, you know, a good experience in a class or something like that? Yeah, I strangely wrote poems when I was really little <sighs> and before anyone even told me what a poem was, I have these notebooks of mine from, I think, third grade when I was just really starting to write and form letters. And I went right for the poem. I don't know why. I don't know how that happened. Um, but it was really obvious. And I think, you know, my parents noticed it and they were like, oh, you you're writing poems. And I definitely think that they uplifted that concept. But there's a time where I remember doing that before I knew what poetry was. Mm. And I think that there's something fascinating to me about that. I've looked at those books and even before I really knew how to write, there's this cryptic language, you know, I can't really understand it, but it's written as a poem and it's mm. about a Fox or it's about something that I observed. And then I kind of carried that with me and continued to write all through my youth. And as the, the older I got, the more and more, clear it was that oh i am a poet and i studied that in college you know i really followed it through and i never once thought about it as my profession mm -hmm. until i did poem store and i saw how my ability to connect the words on the page to an actual person kind of illuminated this pathway for me like i saw oh there's potential in this that goes beyond the solitary world of the writer. And I've always been interested in that kind of deep connection and community and how to like bridge the gap between being just a poet in your own space to being a poet in the world. Um, so I think that experience helped me kind of move through and examine like, what kind of poet do I want to be? Mm -hmm. And that's what has me here now with my eighth book. <laughs> so, full which, formed writer. <laughs> yes, which is called A Year in Practice, which we are gonna get to. But just to go off on a tangent, I wrote poetry in high school, but you know, there's, I have heard a lot of writers say the phrase, well, I wrote poetry in high school, but it was really, uh, the phrase would be emo kind of, or, or if, the, if Gen Z is listening, the phrase would be cringe. And I think that if my poetry happened to be bad in high school, it's because in, now that I reflect upon it. I kind of had an ins insular life, right? I, I, my life wasn't exactly exciting. I went off to school and I would come home to my bedroom and just be in my little emo emotions and just kind of write. And maybe I would kind of just dwell on the same stuff and be a little melodramatic or even melancholic. But it's when you talk about like being in front of someone and connecting with them, or even just going off and living more, it really just dawns on me, and with this book too, is you you do have to experience life in order to process it into good poetry. Or is perhaps is that what poetry is there for you to help you process mm -hmm. the pain of the pain and joy of life? You just gotta go oh, live. Yes. <laughs> I too was a young high schooler writing the same thing. The over same and poem, over and yeah. Because <laughs> it was just high school. Oh my gosh. All yeah. of the heartbreak and the longing and all of my poems in high school were about love. And right. I also have always been a person who has had immense deep affection for my friends because I'm an only child. So 
my friends were like everything to me and the love poems for my friends are on par with the love poems for my aching longing you know for this sure. ideal relationship that sure. we look for even in high school but i definitely was the same as you're you're suggesting is these emo poems right pouring out of me over and over and over again right <laughs> or i'm just trying to be eddie vetter and it's just embarrassing yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? <laughs> yes, I do. Right. <laughs> Precisely. Uh, but then I guess let's jump forward a bit and hopefully I'm not jumping around too much, but I do want to get folks on board with a year in practice and uh, have you talk about the inspiration behind it. When you talk about spontaneous poems, hmm, I wonder if you can maybe adjust, I'll be devil's advocate here and you can adjust my perception. You're kind of I'm even avoiding using this word if you're at the table with your typewriter and one-on-one with that person making the poem for them you're kind of pushing yourself to be creative I don't want to say forcing yourself but it is kind of it does feel like an improvisational it has to happen within this instance I have to use my brain and my heart and my and my intellect and my memory and I have to transmute it into a poem right here right now mm-hmm. I have to force mm-hmm. myself to be creative so explain the concept of a year in practice and because again as someone who has been a poet and an educator and led workshops and written books I think it would go without saying that you know and can tell from experience that being creative is rewarding being creative is therapeutic but it's just kind of hard to push us uh push ourselves into it especially if we have a day job or if we have seasonal affective disorder Mm -hmm. talk about the concept around a year in practice and what inspired you to write it and uh i guess hopefully the benefit of finding the ways to get ourselves to be creative (laughs) that's a big question you know i love the thread between the experience of spontaneous poetry and this book that has come out so many years after that project. And the idea I think that really ties all that together is practice and the word practice and the concept of what practice is and how it does take practice to usher creativity into our lives. And Mm -hmm. it does take practice to stay committed to that and also to stay clear on what that looks like for you and it's different for every person every person has a unique approach and a unique outcome of what comes from their practice and i like to think of the the word practice connected to artistry and creativity but also just life itself like you have to continuously practice how to show up to this life Mm -hmm. um it doesn't just happen uh with like blooming colors and great vibrant feeling unless you kind of adjust your mindset or take care of yourself and all of these things take practice and i think working as this poet in the world and getting to know people in this way was so it it gave me such clarity around what everyone was looking for like i've written over forty thousand spontaneous poems for people and no matter where i was writing no matter what part of the world no matter the demographic people are always asking for the same things they're always looking for answers to love and connection. They're always looking for inspiration and direction. They're always wanting poems to celebrate the same things or grieve the same things. You know, there's a big through line with what we're looking for as human beings that connects all of us. And I think the practice point in that for me 
and making work that is really accessible for people to try to tap into these prompts or rituals that I suggest or mindsets that I kind of cultivate, like a poetic mindset is something I'm always trying to help people cultivate, is really just this attempt to give each person their own toolkit in which to approach their practice of life. And so this book kind of came from this long trajectory of mine of witnessing like what is it that people are needing and how do I provide something that isn't me reinventing the wheel mm. I'm not offering things that people have never heard of but I'm just collecting them and I think that's often what poets do you know we're observing and collecting and reflecting back and so this book as with all my books is the same kind of you know collection of those observations and just offering people a starting point to do that work within themselves this book has really opened my eyes especially as a writer i love that no matter what you want to be creative about or what your medium could be you could use this book but for for me i i'm a writer and you heard a bad poet but my whole thing was used to be and you, you might shudder at this because I'm I'm like the demographic for this book is like, well, it's like, okay, well, I have to write today. So I am going to block out time and I'm going to drink a lot of coffee and I'm going to accept the reality that I should block out four hours of writing time and anticipate that three of those hours will be me staring at a blank screen and then the last hour when the caffeine kicks in, I'll write 800 words. Um, and that's just, there's just so much more to it. So you're talking about, I love this, I love this uh, phrase, not to quote the sort of description of the book back at you. Uh, you have four seasonally themed chapters to keep the reader connected to natural phases of creative contraction and expansion throughout the year. And so I, this book started making me think about how you're maybe hopefully opening the reader's eyes to that they're the instrument of creativity. And I mean that metaphor figurative and literally because instruments like a cello or a trumpet are also affected by the cold. Sometimes they go out yes. of tune and they can kind of contract and expand. So there's all these steps that could be as simple as maybe you should just take a long, hot bath. Can you talk about the... <laughs> The ways in which there's a kind of a self-care angle to this, the 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 reader is the creative instrument. And yeah, I love the I love the metaphor yeah. of the instrument and how yeah we have to tend to our instrument. You know, I consider myself as a vessel with which all this comes through. And if I'm not finely tuned, if I'm not taken care of, then I can't do the the task, right. whatever that is. Um, Sometimes that's actually writing. Sometimes it's gathering materials. Sometimes it's going through all my journals and reflecting on things. You know, there's all these different aspects of the craft. And I love the example you're giving of sitting down for the four hour time block and being like, oh, actually, that's not that's just one part of it. For um, sure. So many other parts. We're working against <laughs> we're working against kind of like perhaps uh, bad stereotypes of like if it's not Emily Dickinson up in her attic or it's. Bukowski abusing his body or Hunter S. Thompson abusing their bodies. That's sort of mm -hmm. like this romanticized, tortured artist thing mm -hmm. that we have to work against. Yeah, so much of what inspired this book for me was um, over the years kind of just witnessing myself and then other 
artists and even reading interviews in like the Paris Review does all these interviews with artists about their practice and their process and just seeing how different everyone's approach was, but that every single person is consistently looking for a rhythm that works for them. We're always trying to find and adjust and tweak the thing that works for us. And for me, just as a person in this world, I am deeply attuned to and connected to and obsessed with the planet that we live on. And I feel like the earth is the thing that constantly gives me guidance. So in this search for rhythm, I inherently with my, you know, connection to the planet turned towards it for that guidance. And I found so much information there that felt like it would be extremely helpful for others to remember because it's it's there for all of us. The earth is constantly giving us this guidance. It's bountiful. It's present all year long. And it does really affect our ability to be creative. And I think that in noticing how much longing there is for a rhythm, I was so excited to say, well, we have a rhythm and it's it's actually really clear and it happens every year and we can just tap right in and follow its lead. And again, that outcome of, of how each person reacts to that or responds to that is, is different, but the energy itself is the same. So I think that that's what this book kind of tries to illuminate. And to me, that's like a type of remembering because I think there's a lot of things in our society that get in the way of us being able to focus on the simplicity of that rhythm and a disconnection from the earth. And there's so many things that cause us to turn from that. But to actually just remember to turn towards it, I think that's the thesis of the book. The book is just saying, just remember the earth exists. You are the earth. You yourself, your vessel, this instrument is the earth. So you will inherently respond as the earth responds to this cyclical cadence that the seasons offer. Mm-hmm. I, this is a bold question, hopefully. Hopefully not too bold. But... <laughs> I, for for the listeners out there, because anyone who's picking up this book and anyone who's listening to this podcast, there's always that thing, Jacqueline, that think that thing of the day job and or the chores or the errands or the caregiving or whatever else or volunteer work. You know, a lot of people are creative and they are inherently creative, but they are struggling to find the little wedges of time in which to squeeze in that creative time and yes (laughs) you know no truly yeah and i think that this i mean speak to speak more on practice because or to speak more on i guess the rewarding nature of just having something extra in your life that isn't a hobby that's something a little more elevated you know I guess what I'm dancing around is uh, I have a roommate and he's never going to hear this and he's actually my brother. I can say he's never going to read this and I know he has talent, but when he gets home from work, he just does recreational things. He might read a book or he might play a video game, you know, mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. again, uh, bringing it back a bit to the, the reward that wait awaits you when I guess you apply a little bit of this dedication this practice this i don't know 
there's a little bit of a grow yeah. uh, there there might be some growing pains like you gotta like adjust to get into the year in practice um but yeah. i wondered if you could just speak I, to the rewards I, I love that the reward yeah. is is infinite um but the reward yeah it takes practice to even get to the reward right, right? so i think that sometimes that little push towards I always think about this with my audience and like who is reading these books. Mm -hmm. And usually it's someone who has some sort of inkling that they need something like that in their life, right? They're trying to either enrich their practice that already exists, mm -hmm. or they're trying to build a practice. And I do a lot of like one-on-one -on -one work with people like creative guidance stuff, or they're trying to build their practice and I'm trying to, you know, hold them accountable and get them to find that reward. And I think that there are, different ways into that for people. A lot of people find inspiration in different places. But for me, that earthly entrance is something that I think if you get a little hint of that, like most people can in any moment, if you show them, wow, look at the beautiful sky right now, they're moved in some way, even if it's momentary. And there's always like a little gesture towards that in every day, uh, no matter who you are, like you're surrounded by the earth. Like I said before, you are the earth. So this little light switch that gets turned on, mm -hmm. it's my hope that that kind of one inkling, that one little spark could then illuminate a path forward that would show you the reward. And I think I saw that a lot in my work with Home Store because people would come in very skeptical. Lots of people wouldn't enter the process of getting a poem knowing how impactful it would be they would just be like oh this is a novelty what an interesting entertaining moment and then as i read them the poem they kind of click into this other space mm -hmm. of understanding themselves of seeing themselves be reflected back or a lot of my work even in that time in life was it was all dedicated to the earth for me it's like if i could help a person remember to take care of themselves, to better themselves, to heal, whatever it is that they're looking for when they get a poem, to connect them to themselves, then they would thus be connected to the earth because mm -hmm. they are the earth. And so similarly, I think there's this, in this day-to-day -day life, if there's one chance to kind of see what a poetic life looks like, what it's like to carry a poetic mindset with you every day. Uh, the last book that I wrote is called Every Day is a Poem. And it's all about that. It's all about cultivating this poetic mindset, which was really just a sense of noticing and a sense of connection to the world. And that I think is like all like, oh, I'm just going to use your brother as an example. Please, he, please. You know, he won't listen. If, if he had a moment where he met someone like he got a poem from me he read something in a book that kind of illuminated how great that reward is because i can say about myself and the way that i live my life is that i'm in love with being alive even though it's incredibly hard i experience deep grief all of the time i have huge emotions i've experienced a lot of trauma in my life but i love to be alive and i think that great awe that I carry with me all day is from my practice. It's not something that just comes naturally to me. I have to continuously practice it. But because I do, because 
writers in my youth who wrote things that, you know, opened my mind to these feelings and ideas led me down this path. Now I'm able to continuously usher that in and I continue to be amazed instead of sort of falling out of it. And it doesn't mean that there aren't points in my life where the like energy shifts and changes because it does, you know, I'm only a human being. (laughs) But I think because I recognize that in myself, I then recognize the potential and possibility for someone else to, you know, step into that reward. You used an incredible word there, noticing. I think I want to dig into that a little bit here. And I'm also curious, I like to ask three questions at once, so I just, maybe you're (laughs) noticing it. I'm also curious if you are really thoughtful and intentional about exactly when you were writing this book, because I've been noticing, I see it a lot on social media a lot lately, specifically in the post-pandemic and a generation of millennials who feel like they have lived through 17, you know, massively historical events. Mm-hmm. The the word uh, dissociative is being thrown around a lot, uh, mm. that they are dissociating and mm-hmm. almost by preference, because the world seems so horrible. <laughs> They're just kind of tuning out. And I've heard a lot of people say like, oh, I'll get home and, and put on TV. And I, I don't even want to engage with a show that's going to demand attention or a movie that's going to demand attention. I'm just Mm -hmm. zoning out. And I think that's kind of endemic to what we just went through the last four years. So I'm first curious if you were really considering that, like this book does feel like perfect timing to hopefully uh, alleviate that. But then I'd also like to talk about how that dissociativeness kind of feeds into the frustration that you feel when you get into what you also address in this book, which is the artistic block and how Mm. if you stop dissociating and start noticing, perhaps you'll get through the block. I just (laughs) wonder if you could chat about that. Well, I I love the idea of the block. Uh, People obviously ask me about this all the time as someone who wrote over 40,000 poems on the spot. People are like, were you ever blocked? Or do you ever get blocked with writing? You know, do you ever have writer's block? And to me, I have a completely, I mean, it's a simple view, but it's, it's different than what I normally hear, which is I don't actually really believe in writer's block that much. I think that there are times in our lives when we are creative and we have something to say, and then there are times when we don't. And this book actually kind of affirms that sense of just, there are times of the year where I am just tired and need to rest. And if I'm feeling blocked, I'm very compassionate with myself and not judgmental. And I just say, well, maybe this is not the time to write. And then there are other times when it is so clearly the time to write and I cannot, you know, tamp that if I wanted to. And I just try to notice that and, and it, in that I try to honor myself and what I'm actually able to do. Now there is a difference between I think writer's block and just like procrastination or the uncomfortable space of sitting, like you said, for three hours until you get to the end of that. And then you have a lot come out, you know, sometimes I think there's just the act of saving space for yourself, holding space for yourself. You might not be creative right away, but if you even do that, the attempt will lead you towards some kind of output, which is different all year long and I, that this 
book definitely plays into that idea of, you know, in this age of us dissociating and us choosing dissociation, which I'm fascinated by, because as a person who has suffered trauma and dissociates not as a choice, Mm -hmm. it's like a very interesting concept. And I, too, connect to it. I understand why we do that. And what we're choosing there is to turn our minds off. And sometimes, you know, yes, a a bad TV show is is great for that. (laughs) I have no, no judgment. Sure. But I also think that, yeah, there is something that's getting overlooked in that that is our great potential and power to adjust Mm -hmm. and explore and examine and that is just such an incredible part of being human that we have this ability to notice the world around us make connections make comparisons explore it further and then share our findings and in that sharing That's where people find each other. That's where we connect. And I think a lot of times what's missing in these moments where we feel so exhausted and worn is we haven't gotten enough connection, whether it's with other people or just with our world. And that can be so awful. The feeling of that is just, I think that can shake you into a place of, I don't actually want to feel anything because I'm already not. Right. (laughs) So yeah, there's a lot of practice around. Yes that space and knowing when it's appropriate to give yourself the time and for me that time is is the winter time yeah in in the winter that's when i give myself the pass to do a sort of mental turn off but also that's when i get my most incredible self-exploration done that's Mm -hmm. when i'm most able to be you know i'm not distracted by the outside world people especially here in Michigan, don't expect me to go anywhere. Right. <laughs> you know, I can kind of create more moments of cave-like introspection. And that is is a fuel. It's not, I'm not dissociating in those moments. I'm noticing my inner landscape and I'm allowing myself to be curious. And in that curiosity, so much creativity follows it because I unearth all these things that I want to think about and research and read and talk about. And I kind of slowly carefully build towards a more outward expression which then you know happens in the spring and summer yeah <sighs> yes i'm tapping into this uh so much and i took to, but to bring it back to to noticing i think that if i'm getting home from work and i'm tired and i my brain power or at least i'm convinced myself that my brain power is only going to allow me to shuffle through on Instagram or put on a rerun of a show that I just want that might imply again, no judgment that I'm not taking the moment to notice that it's snowing outside or that the leaves have turned a beautiful crimson red or the way the wind is blowing or the birds in my bird feeder. I'm not. And this phrase that I also really like is to again, kind of hold space to yourself. Uh, maybe, Go, I, I, I like this phrase, go easy on yourself, because you're talking about how the earth shows us when our creative reserves might wax and wane. And sometimes they wane. Don't get frustrated with yourself. Look at, look at how barren it might be out there in the wintertime. Look at those empty trees, you know. It, find the harmony between you and that outside world and appreciate it. Yeah, and there are so many moments in which you have to be gentle with yourself. Yeah. I, I think the the world we live in asks us to put ourselves in the shoes of constant output. 
we should have an outcome every day. We should constantly be, you know, making something happen. Right. And I think that that is so not what the earth is suggesting. The earth is like, you got to, you know, pump up your reserves. You need to yeah. recharge. You have to gather and also transitions. The transitions between seasons mm -hmm. are incredibly difficult on us. And we're not given the time or space usually to notice that. And I think that's a very important time to be gentle with yourself. But when we're transitioning from one season to another, there's so much adjustment happening in our body and our mind and our spirit. Everything is, you know, trying to shift. And that's not easy. And I don't think that we should expect as much of ourselves in these moments of transition. There's there's so many points like that in the book that I'm kind of like, okay, now make sure to focus on taking good care of yourself right now because mm -hmm. this moment moving into the next season is not an easy one. Yes. And I don't think we really are taught to do that for ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and personally, I know like the the harsh self-critic voice, that is not something that enables me to be creative. <laughs> you know, like sure. that's when I find that voice in myself, that's when I say, okay, now I got to slow down and right. reel it in because nothing great will come from me being so harsh with myself. Right. I mean, it's natural that you'd start winter and then go into spring. Uh, for, for me as a reader, I think that spring into summer isn't such a shock. I think the biggest shock for me is always winter into spring. And that's mm -hmm. when, if I have creative res reserves, that's when I can kind of start to feel the anxiety or self-frustration because suddenly everything has been white and barren and now it's green and verdant. And I'm like, oh, the year is already blurring by. Look at how much energy is out there. What have I done? It's already April. Oh, yeah. Spring is harsh. Yeah. Spring is harsh. Spring is like disarmingly harsh and you wouldn't really expect hard. that. Yeah. Yes. That, I think that's probably in the conversations that I'm having about this book. That's definitely like the most yeah. astounding thing that I uncovered is how that exposure that happens in spring is, is so difficult yeah. and it's chaotic and the energy kind of goes back and forth for a while mm -hmm. and you know, I think that that's something to be really careful with. And then similarly, this moment of going from fall into winter, it's like there's this last big push of effort that happens. You know, we're like gathering all of our resources. We're making sure we have everything we need so that our winter is what we need it to be. And right. I think that that last charge of energy is also something to, you know, be make sure to take care of yourself in that because it can be really overwhelming. Yes. Uh, give yourself space and time. You know, I, uh, this book feels like it's kind of continuing the conversation that I've seen some other writers or folks on social media kind of pushing forward of how, well, the, the phrase I might see is like rest is resistance, but something like that. But it's basically waking us up to the fact that giving yourself a chance to rest isn't in, in itself also productive for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, give a big nod to uh, Trisha Hersey and her work with the NAP ministry. The NAP ministry. And yeah, and, and you know, there's so much that could be said about that that she says that's way better than anything I could say and that is extremely 
you know, political and has a lot of social justice elements to sure. it, which I deeply appreciate. And I think that for me, a lot of my voice goes towards this earth speak and right. like standing up for the earth, right. and kind of this like justice for the planet. And part of what that looks like in making a book like this is just that recognition of guys, the planet gives us so much. May we give back to it with as much or more love and generosity because it's built an entire perfect system for us to follow. And we have really shirked our responsibility in that. And I think also connecting to what you're saying about the timing of this book is, is like the climate change aspect of what this book is talking about is you know we better look to these seasons now and receive this information and these messages now because this is all shifting and in that shifting it's not going to look the same and yet the the memory and the message of the seasons is going to have to stick with us because our little bodies aren't going to change as quickly as these big seasonal shifts we're seeing and this information is going to always be important for us because we have to follow some sense of rhythm or we'll just burn ourselves out mm -hmm. and we continue to do that um and also how can we envision a new world without our creative you know cadence being tuned and taken care of we, we can't like that all of us who are willing to try to be in the space of creativity to try to envision a different way of doing things we all need to be like at our very best in order to do that and that doesn't have to be this pressured thing that takes up your entire day you know it could be 10 minutes in the morning where you let yourself find some sense of practice where you can sit down and just reflect even that's a creative practice you know reflection is creative it doesn't have to be like you're then making a book out of it or something like that i really try to <laughs> reinforce the sense of this isn't about an outcome and you creating something that has to look a certain way or you know be published or be on display in a gallery or be on stage it's more about like what happens to you as a person in that space of creative energy and how there's a way for you to kind of build that into your daily life. And it might be way easier than you think, because if the yeah. seasons are guiding you, then yes. you can kind of, you know, naturally find that rhythm instead of it feeling like uh, a needle in a haystack, you don't have time for it. It's like, well, actually, you're kind of already doing it. It's internal maybe you're not noticing it maybe it's more of a subconscious thing but if you bring it to the surface i guarantee you there's so much that will come to fruition in that this book is incredible it has that sort of like everything is connected this is so much bigger than you but also don't panic and also just sit still and it's just ah uh, it's incredible um uh and i'm really excited for folks to read it and i'm just glad you you wrote it thank you <laughs> thank you thank you it means a lot to me and yeah and it and it definitely as you absolutely just so eloquently said it is very much about the earth and the rhythms and i've just found myself looking out the window at all these trees that are right outside as i have had a hard time resisting just looking out the window and regarding nature as i talk to you mm -hmm. about nature but how it's intertwined with our creative output and yeah incredible so a year in practice is the uh name of the book i think folks are going to hear this just a little bit before it actually debuts doesn't it come out is it 
December. When is it? It's the first weekend of December. Yeah, December 5th. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, so Tuesday. All books always come out on Tuesdays. Uh, well, Jacqueline Suskin, I feel like I've taken up so much of your time. I really appreciate your time. Um, it was wonderful there, talking. Yes. Is there uh, is there any any closing thoughts? Did any of my meandering questions jar anything loose that we didn't touch on yet? Uh, is there anything you hope readers might take away from this book? Any Any closing thoughts like that? Well, I was thinking that it might be nice to read a poem. Oh, absolutely. If we have time, <laughs> please, let's do it. I'll read a poem. Because I, we didn't even touch on how that is also interspliced. You do have your poetry in here as you're giving folks. So the, many poems. Oh, no, it is yeah, a seasonal. So many poems. <laughs> it's a seasonal guide to holistic practices, of course. But there you have you get poetry from Jacqueline's too. So which poem would you like to read for us? Um, this poem actually isn't in the book, but okay. it's uh, from a new book of mine that isn't out yet. But okay. it just seems like when speaking about being creative and making art and in these times, um, this is kind of a good overview of what I'm talking about that could be something that comes from that. Um, it's called Beauty Over and Over. We make art to convince each other that life is worth living. Remember why? Because cold plum, because other person, because questions, light through windows, bird bones so small, babies growing inside, seeds that do so much because of sun. We say here is beauty over and over, up against the rotting log, up against the numbered days. Look at the sky, cloud, woven rug and well-made boot even in the shadow even in the cold the rose continues blooming i cry and look ugly but it's pretty too death brings blood but oh wow the red the flowing the temperature the wind moves metal the unseen air causes dancing and even in the worst of pain a dead flower all moldy, is brilliant with some proof of happening, some hue of having lived. Uh, bravo. Also, <laughs> also noticing. Yes. Noticing for sure. And all those little yes. things you just noted, like I could find myself writing a poem about any of those. Yes. One poem entirely about bird bones, one poem entirely about the log. Exactly. And the uh, perhaps the other thing that's built into that is the the rose that's blooming in the darkness at night too. Uh, something I've always liked to do, especially in the summertime, at least when it's really warm out and it's still like 70 degrees at night, is to walk outside at 10 or 11 o'clock at night uh, and just watch branches blowing in the, in the wind. Mm -hmm. because there's no longer the sound of leaf blowers or air conditioners or traffic. And you can kind of hear the branches actually swaying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, they're doing that all day long in the sunshine too with the leaf blowers and the air conditioners and the traffic too. Mm, and, I love that. And uh, so noticing 
Oh my gosh. Uh, it's been such pleasure to talk with you. I'm going to have more information uh, about you and your books in our uh, show notes and on our website as well. Uh, and we'll link to your website and help and we'll help fi- folks find more information about a year in practice, which comes out perfectly just in time, just a little bit before the winter <laughs> solstice, which is great. Yes. You can get started on your year. That's right. <laughs> Jacqueline Suskin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. And that was our chat with Jacqueline Suskin, the author of A Year in Practice, Seasonal Rituals and Prompts to Awaken Cycles of Creative Expression. It is out December 5th. And if you're hearing this in time, she has a reading event coming up at Bank Sui in Hamtramck on December 7th. More information in our show notes. Thank you for listening to another episode of A Little Too Quiet. It's the Ferndale Library podcast, and it's brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. We thank John Duffy for giving us music to open and close each episode. And we thank the friends of the Ferndale Library for giving us the opportunity to have this podcast. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about this wonderful little podcast produced right here inside of the Ferndale Library. And we will be back next week with more. Thanks for listening.